Well, as you know, we're in the middle of our series, Born in the USA. Nowhere to run, ain't got nowhere to go. And as we continue to look at the life and times of Daniel, we realize that even though it was 2,600 years ago, it still has something for us today. And it still speaks to us in the seasons of life that we can find ourselves in from moment to moment. And Daniel's life really shows us how not to just survive in difficult times, but actually how to thrive in difficult times. And all of us have experienced that, no matter whether we're unconvinced when it comes to this about God and spirituality, and we're still trying to figure that out. And for those of us who are pretty convinced, we still find ourselves in these situations where we want to run, we want to exit, we want to get as far from it as we can, but we feel like we're stuck. We feel like we're trapped. Now, as I said earlier, we are in the middle of our series, and uh, if you want to catch up with that, Cindy mentioned earlier, there's a number of ways to um, do that, and so you can log on, and uh, you don't even have to log on, just click on, and you can find us in those kinds of places. If you have any questions about that, again, stop by guest services. So this morning, we, we continue on, and last week, we started about learning, and uh, I shared with you last week that... Uh, there was this awkward moment during Father's Day, and there's this problem in the Spencer household, and that is they ganged up on me a couple weeks ago on Father's Day and told me it was time to get rid of my 17-year-old chlorine-faded bathing suit. And I told you last week it was a Speedo, and some of you went, ooh, but not that kind of Speedo. Uh, here is actually a picture of it. Um, I took this yesterday, and uh, I had used it in the morning and made sure it was dry. And, and uh, this may not do it justice, but they actually say that uh, it looks a little pink, trying to manipulate me, those girls, in my life. So I would never want to wear it. But it still seems to work. Uh, there's the little symbol that says uh, Speedo on it, believe it or not. So, so we're in this, this, this situation, so I agreed on... Father's Day, while they surrounded me, they opened up a computer and went ahead and ordered the new bathing suit from L.O. Bean. Um, it was on sale because it was Father's Day. They had some bean bucks, and it ended up being $17. It was really $69, but I said, all right, $17, we'll go for it. And this is what came in the mail. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, on, on somebody else it might look good, but I, I tried it on, and the thing that bothered me was this string thingy. <laughs> this string thingy, first of all, wasn't even attached to the bathing suit. So I could vision myself losing. It had snaps, so it wouldn't be like I'd lose my bathing suit. But I just didn't want to be like every time making sure my, you know, bow was tied right and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't want to lose the string. So, so I said, I, I don't like that. So this week we're up visiting the girls. So we went to Beans to exchange it. And, um, you know, I, I, I came out with uh, this one. It still had that string doohickey. But, you know, I thought this was a little more stylish. You know, you know, it looked pretty good. And this stringy thing was attached to the bathing suit. So even if it was untied, you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't lose it. Now, where the real problem begins is on the way out, Cindy says... Don't you think you want to try that on? And I said, no, I don't need to try that. I hate trying stuff on at, you know, at a store, and I especially hate trying bathing suits on at a store. So I just didn't want to do that. And she said, you know, there's been other times where we've gotten out of there, and uh, it doesn't fit. 
So I hate to say it, uh, this week or next week before we go on vacation, I am going to be looking for another bathing suit because th that one doesn't fit. And, uh, and fortunately, it doesn't fit because it's actually too big for me. That was good news. But uh, it does not fit. And so back up to beans. We'll have to suffer through a Starbucks. And I'll have to, of course, walk through an Apple store up there at Eastview. But, you know, I, I should have known. It was a lesson I've learned time and time again. Sometimes I, I luck out and it does fit. But there's many times where it doesn't fit. And last week we began to look at learning. And the whole idea of last week's story is that Belshazzar should have known better. He should have learned the lesson. He should have understood it. And so here I am this week living out in a, in a less way, of course. I mean, it's just another trip up to beans. But, uh, uh, you know, I, it's costing me something. Now, when it comes to uh, Belshazzar, we know that he loses the kingdom, loses his life, and I'm sure a bunch of his buddies uh, lost their lives, and he should have known better. So we're going back to Daniel chapter 5, and then we're going to jump off a little bit. Uh, Daniel chapter 5, that's page 617 in the Bible you'll find around you. Verses will be up on the screen. If you're new to the Bible and don't happen to have your own personal copy of God's Word, please feel free to take that Bible you'll find around you as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, you can download uh, the app, the Version. And what's great about Version is, first of all, it's free, has a number of translations available to you, and it also has reading plans. If you're just getting into this thing or you've taken a step back from uh, spending time with God on a regular basis, you can go to Version. You can find a daily reading that's five days, seven days, year-round, whatever you're looking for, and you can find it with subjects. And you click it in there, and it just reminds you. You can even set it up so it sends it via an email to your phone or your computer or whatever, so you can really access and have this with you. So I, I'd encourage you, if you have an electronic device that it will work with, which it works with most, please download uh, version, and you can have your Bible wherever you go, uh, as long as you have your phone with you or your electronic device. So we went through all of this last week, so we're going to hit some highlights and then jump into a different place. But it's all in this idea, if you should have known better, uh, you know, learning and actually putting into practice what we know. And here's the verse where Daniel calls Belshazzar out on the carpet. He says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, referring to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't his dad, but was one of those founding father kind of figures in his life. It's probably a few kings removed. We had a sh shot of that last week. I uh, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. And how many times in our life do we know something, but we choose not to humble ourselves before what we know. And basically, that is the idea of we submit ourselves to something else because we have the power to go on our own way, but we say, no, I'm going to submit, I'm going to humble myself to this piece of information that's just not information, but it's actually transformation because it's changing the way I live. And, and he wouldn't do it. When we were leaving uh, L.L. Bean or getting ready to check out, I, I, should have, I should have said, humble myself and go try on the bathing suit. Then this bathing suit thing would be solved. And we won't have to talk about it for another 17 years until I get the next one. But, uh, you know, why not do that? But I didn't. And I knew it. And I knew it. 
And all of us in this room, no matter where you're coming from, can think of at least one time, probably a lot of times, where you refused to humble yourself. You did not want to agree that you had missed something, that something was lacking in your understanding, and you didn't want to humble yourself. You just wanted to keep going full steam ahead, and you knew it. And then a day later, or a week later, maybe even six months later, or a long period later, or short, you have to deal with the ripple effects of what that is. And you go, man, I, I, I should have known better. Because the reality is you did know better. I did know better. I just choose not to humble myself. Daniel goes on in verse 23 and says, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Never a good place to be, setting yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And if we're really honest with ourselves, anytime we disregard what we know to be accurate about the Lord of heaven, that is God, and go in a different direction, we've set ourselves up from the Lord of heaven. Fortunately, he's pretty gracious with us. Fortunately, he's gracious with me. Because of every time I went my own way when I knew better, and he acted on that, and this big hand came out of the sky not to write on my wall, but to spank me on the butt, I would be like, oh, but he doesn't do that. He gives us grace. But sometimes we run too wild with that grace. So instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have had the goblets from the temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have drank wine from them. These were the goblets from God's temple in Jerusalem. that had been destroyed. And as we said last week, anytime you beat another group, uh, beat another nation, you would take their artifacts from their worship, bring it to your country, and kind of parade around saying, hey, we wiped out that God, that God. God's not so strong, so, so we're all set. And that's what they were doing. But up until this point, they had just kind of stayed in a display case or in a storage room. But Belshazzar is showing contempt for the armies that are outside uh, uh, Babylon. And he's also showing contempt for God. You praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. And we go, wow, I don't do that. But we do do that. The things we've made out of bronze, out of iron, out of wood, out of stone, sometimes they get too much focus. Sometimes they become what we're chasing after, what we hold on to so dearly. So we can find ourselves, whether we're not a Christ follower or are a Christ follower, we can find ourselves slipping into this. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand, your life and your ways. When that writing happened, and we talked about that last week, uh, Belshazzar's knees buckled. He weakened. He, he lost it because he wondered what that was. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's a shame that I, I read something like that. It should make my knees buckle a little bit because God actually holds my life and your lives in his hand, and all your ways. He's not surprised. He knows. And that should shake us up a little bit. Last week, we had three takeaways. 
We need to realize that our days are numbered. We need to understand that. We don't have an unlimited resource of days, so we need to use them well. We also saw that our lives are out of balance. Uh, when we're putting other things into that primary spot in our lives, it doesn't mean we can't have those things. But as we've said a lot around here, because I, I have to fight this, I get a gift from the hand of God, and instead of worshiping the God that gave me the gift, I start worshiping the item, the ability, the, the product, the whatever it is. And that gets me out of balance. And then we also ignore the warning signs. We ignore the warning signs. We, we get used to it. I, I showed you, I think it was last summer, I showed you this, this clip where Vice President uh, Pence was at, uh, was at NASA, and there was this thing, and it said, do not touch. And so they get him on camera touching it, and, you know, and it went viral that he touched it anyway. Uh, we do that all the time. It says, do not touch, do not do this. We ignore the warning signs. Some of us might have even ignored the, the speed limit sign on the way to church. But anyway, so we warn those things. And uh, not that it's something fun to think about, but in Hebrews 9.27, the writer reminds us, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And we need to realize that, that that's all of us. Someday we'll have to answer for our lives. In a few moments, we're celebrating communion. That's God's gift for us. We don't earn it for our actions, but we still are responsible for our actions. And I need to be reminded of this every once in a while, that, that I will have to answer for my life, how I use it, how I spend it. So welcome to Seneca Community Church. We're trying to give you a positive, feel-good message. <laughs> We have to understand that. Last week, we didn't get to these two questions with much uh, focus, but there's two thoughts that come out of this passage is, what is outside your gate? Belshazzar saw the armies. He was safe in Babylon. Or was he? We described that city, how thick the walls were. It was invincible. And because he felt that he arrived, he felt that he was all set he, he, he scoffed at the armies outside the wall. You and I can sometimes think we're at a place where what's outside the wall, what's outside the wall that's looking to take something from our lives, destroy our lives, whatever. We, we see then and we, we're not really uh, aware of that. We, don't, we just don't, we don't actually see it. We see it, but we don't see it. And that's not to make us feel fearful but we're almost ignorant in the sense that we're, we're not even opening our eyes to, to the possibilities. We don't realize what's outside our gate, what's outside our walls. And so we're careless. We're a little arrogant. We're a little complacent. We feel safe. And we see others who are dealing with that, and we say, that will never be me. Sometimes it makes us feel even more safe because that won't happen to me. Remember a pastor acquaintance of me, mine, who was very staunch on being pure and all these kinds of things. At 62, to everyone's surprise, he, uh, he strayed and he had an affair. 
and he almost lost everything. He, he, a year or two earlier, if you had speak, spoken to him, he would have said, oh, that's, that's outside my gate, but I'm not even aware. I don't even see that. Yet all of a sudden, he was entangled in it. He lost his church, almost lost his wife, uh, lost the respect of his kids. And now, probably seven years later, he's still trying to rebuild all of that. What's outside your gate? What's outside of the gate of your entertainment choices, your computer choices, your music choices that reinforce things that would cause you maybe to not be uh, so aligned with God's preferred will? What's outside your choices when it comes outside the gate when it comes to your relationships with the most important people in your lives, your spouse, your family, your children? What's outside the gate? Do you see it? Belshazzar didn't see it, and he actually showed contempt for it. He played with fire in his lap, and he'll get burned for it. And then God writes those words on the inside wall of this big banquet hall where a thousand of his friends are just partying all night, and it included all the uh, bad things that happen when alcohol flows, and there's lots of wives and concubines, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Writes those words. And uh, we have to ask ourselves, what is being written on the inside of our hearts, the walls of our hearts? What, what's being written there? What's on the outside, and what's working its way inside? What's our thoughts about? What's our values about? What, where, where do we go close to the edge, too close? Not thinking about other people, but thinking about ourselves. What would God write on the inside of the wall of your heart in this moment, if he could? And, and maybe he already is. Maybe there's some lack of peace. Maybe there's some tension in your life. Maybe there's some areas where, where, where you don't feel good about it, but you keep pushing in that direction because in reality, he has written on the inside of the wall of your heart. You've let the outside come in. Last week, not this week's, but last week's bottom line was ignoring is the manure that makes troubles grow. Not that I'm any perfect person, but uh, when someone comes in uh, with a situation unfolding in their life, most of the time it's not because I have any great wisdom and I speak into their life and they, they're there to hear that. And uh, most of the time it, it, they, they knew it. It wasn't, it wasn't something new. They just ignored it. And now they're dealing with the manure, the fertilizer that is growing problems and heartache into their life, and the, the, the level of the hurt is now so strong that they're, they're coming in to, to see if I can, can help them. And they, they basically know the answers because they've ignored it. They haven't seen it. So when we think of Belshazzar, we need to really be mindful of this idea of the outside inside. Usually we talk about what happens in the inside gets out, and that, that's absolutely true. Your thoughts, your dreams inside shows up in actions. 
But we also have to be very mindful that what is outside the walls can get on the inside. And when it gets in the inside, it sinks our lives. You ever seen those motivational posters? Well, I came across uh, this other, the opposite side of that's called despair.com. And, uh, and I love this one, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is, the, is, life is only to serve as a warning to others. And that's what we see with Belshazzar. It's a warning. It's a warning. And when the water gets inside, when what's outside gets inside, life starts to sink. You know, this, you've probably heard this a lot of times. Ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets in them. Don't let what's happening around you get inside you and become the handwriting on your heart's wall sinking you. That's the life lesson of Daniel chapter 5. Outside, inside. Uh, one of our main passages we've been using all through this series, it's kind of been our North Star, our direction, comes out of 1 John 2, and it's really, this is really written by Jesus's, one of Jesus' closest friends, John, and this is what he writes. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, not people of the world, but the systems of the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and you can see all three of those things working in Belshazzar's life. They're outside the wall, they're inside the wall. Comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Said another way, combining a few translations, it can be written this way, all things or all the things the world can offer to you, the allure of pleasure, the passion to have things, and the obsession with status, and importance has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. It's not the first time I've shared that verse. But how many of us are living in that place of isolation? Because we know it, but don't live it. Now, when I, when I talk about the outside, I really think that you and I should, if we could if we could think about it this way, really, really we should live Gore-Tex lives. Say, Gore-Tex lives? What's all that about? Well, to really appreciate Gore-Tex, you do got to get out in the rain. You do need to let the water touch you. But what is wonderful about Gore-Tex is the way the membrane is made, and I, I can't go into the scientific thing, but I can look at this picture and kind of get it, is water droplets are bigger than water vapor, than sweat. And when you wear a Gore-Tex jacket and it's raining, the water stays on the outside, yet if you get hot inside, in theory, your vapor, your stinky sweat, goes through and goes out. And so it's a beautiful thing. I can remember getting my first Gore-Tex jacket when they first came out. They were extremely expensive. 
And I couldn't wait to get out in the rain and test it out. I just couldn't wait to get out there. And of course, it didn't rain right off. So I had to wait a few days. I thought about getting in the shower, but I didn't do that. You know, because I just wanted to test this out. This is so cool. This Gore-Tex stuff. And that's really how you and I, as Christ followers, ought to function. It's not that we get into a holy huddle and separate ourselves. We're aware of what is outside us. But we live in such a way, Christ has changed our heart in such a way, is changing our heart in such a way, that when it comes to being out there, the, the, the rain, the, the things around our gate don't get in. But, but, you are outside, you are outside the wall in a sense, and you are so passionate about Christ that your pores drip Jesus sweat. Oh, that sounds so disgusting, but maybe you'll remind, remember it. it and, and when you, you sweat, Jesus sweat, it comes out and gets outside the jacket. It leaves. So as you and I go through the world and as we're thinking about what's outside the gates, we're not scared. We, we show prudence. We talked about that last week. But what's in your heart, what's transformed by the love of God, What's being transformed comes out of your heart and goes through and gets out on the outside. Again, if I had a Gore-Tex jacket and it never rained, I wouldn't be happy with it. I want it to rain. I want to go out there and watch the water bead out on the outside. And if I'm getting warm, if I'm working out, if I'm backpacking, I want to know that I don't get overheated on the inside because if the vapor gets out. And so we ought to live Gore-Tex, Christ-following lives. We're aware of outside the wall. Doesn't get in. Doesn't get inside. But what is inside does get outside as we live our lives and live in the real world, not in a secluded, isolated place. Jesus demonstrates this in his temptations. And he demonstrates really what is talked about in that John passage. If you want to get into all the theological study, you could draw a comparison. You could even go back to um, Adam and Eve and the fall, and you'd see those three areas. We're not going to go into all that depth, but they all fit together. So if you want to turn over to Matthew, we're going to see how he deals with, in a sense, what's on the outside and how he lets what's in the inside come out. But what's on the outside doesn't get in. It doesn't make it any less real. It doesn't make it any less struggle. You read in Hebrews, you'll see that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I were. But he didn't give in to that temptation. Temptation's not wrong. What's outside the gate is a part of living on the planet. With Jesus, it didn't get inside. And that makes him... uh, able to give his life for us. And we'll celebrate that in communion in a few moments. Because he lived such a life, he can offer his life as a perfect sacrifice, offering us forgiveness. So Jesus, we read in chapter 4 of Matthew, beginning in verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, I I get that, but it's showing that he's fully human, he's fully engaged. The tempter came to him. 
In his moment of weakness, if you say, in his moment of exhaustion, that's where the heat really comes on. And we're going to see that sometimes you and I, when we're looking outside the gate, if we could classify all those things outside the wall, outside the gate, would fall into three major categories. You could drop one in each of these three buckets, most of them. And the first one is that we, we buy into this idea, I am what I do. That, that's, that's outside the gate. And at first glance, you go, well, what's, what's wrong with that? But there's a line where I am what I do becomes a problem. And when that thinking outside the gate gets into the heart, there's writing on the wall. When all my value as a human being is what I can do, what I can offer, uh, we've got things mixed up. Christ followers, for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, asked for forgiveness. It's so easy for us to slip back into this idea that it's our merit that earns our, uh, our relationship with God. And that is so far from the truth. Now, what I do does matter, but I am not what I do. We see it unfolding in Jesus' life. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the father. And the idea here is he's like saying, you're hungry, you need sustenance. You need to take care of yourself. You are what you do. You're a bread maker. You can make stones into bread. Amazing. You're God. Now do it. Be satisfied. And he won't do it. Because my satisfaction doesn't come from who I am, what I do. That doesn't mean we can't take pride and, and have feel good about a job well done. But there's this little tipping point where all of a sudden it crosses the tipping point and now we're saying, I have worth because of what I do. And then when we see somebody else doing something better, differently, or they have more abilities, more talents, then it affects our self-worth. And that, that's not supposed to happen. And also there's this idea with this uh, turn the, the uh, stones to bread. There's this idea of I am what I do, and there's this allure of pleasure. Again, satisfying myself, being self-satisfied with I can take care of everything. And Jesus, just a few verses earlier, hears God say to him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God loves us. He's pleased with us. Now, in Jesus' case, he lives a perfect life. And what's amazing is what we celebrate with communion is that he has forgiven us and God looks at us through what Christ did for us. He says, put me on and you're all set. Put me on. It's not what you do because you can't do it enough. Your good is not good enough. My good is not good enough. And instead of saying, so I'm not going to have anything to do with you, he provides his son and his son willingly gives his life for us. God knows this. God loves his son and says, whom I love, I'm well pleased. Some of us need to post that verse somewhere in our life. 
because we forget that God really loves us. Sometimes we think God just tolerates us. He's supposed to. He's God. He's supposed to. He just tolerates, and he's not pleased with us. He loves us. He's pleased with us. Has there ever been a time where a younger child has, has done, they've messed up, they've, they've broken something, and, and, and you just need to verify that you do love them. It's not what they do. And you, you just pick them up and you show that you're pleased with them. It's in spite of their behavior that you love them. Again, that's not a license to go off the rails. But it's this idea, I'm not what I do. And sometimes outside the gates... There are all these kinds of activities that are in connected with the idea that uh, if I do this, that increases my self-worth. And so we're very busy. We're very active. And we don't realize that that's the case. And we try to satisfy ourselves. Paul writes this. Saving is all his idea and all his work, and all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. Probably so. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does the good work he's gotten ready for us to do. And again, you go, well, no, that's doing something. No, it's expressing who you are in Christ. And just like I said with that Gore-Tex Christian life, you, you, you sweat, you're, you're in love, your relationship with Jesus, and it just comes out of your pores. And if you're a Christ follower, you just naturally give your life away to others because it's who you are who you're growing into, who you're converting to be. We've talked about this before. It's not just that moment of conversion when you say yes to Christ. It's a lifetime. It's working out your salvation, not working for your salvation. It's working out your salvation where you're integrating it into your everyday life. And he gives us opportunities to show who we are in him. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so it's not what I do. It's who I'm connected to. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates verse 4. He says, it takes more than, I added the word, making bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. And that's more Don't misunderstand me. It's more than just the Bible. It's the fact that you're in relationship with God. And he's a part of your life. And he's leading you and directing you and guiding you. Where do you find that out? In his word, yes. But hopefully that gets into your heart, gets into your psyche, gets into your life. So it just naturally comes out as you move through life. See, it's not what you do. It's who you're connected to, who you're tied to, who you're in relationship with not what I do. So as you look at the outside of your gate, you have to ask yourself, do do I lean into this value system that I am what I do? And that can affect those who are still trying to figure out and are unconvinced about God in their life. 
but it can really affect those of us who have said yes to Christ because all of a sudden it's what I do or what I don't do that adds value to us. And we see others who are on the other side and it makes us, we might not even say this out loud, but we think it, at least that's not me. That's not, that's, that's outside the gate. Don't let that get inside the heart. Also, I am what I have. This is huge. I am what I have. I am what I've saved. I, I take my identity from those things. The devil brings Jesus to the holy city, Jerusalem, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he says, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your feet foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. In other words, don't set things in motion where God has to bail you out. Don't be foolish with your life. When you're foolish with your life, then you're on the other side of it and you're going, God, I need your grace. I need, I need a buyout right now. Try not to do that. Don't put the Lord your God to test. But the devil's trying to get Jesus to say, you know what I have? I have power. I have angels at my disposal. In Matthew 26, as Jesus is in the garden and Peter is trying to defend Jesus, he uses his sword to stop someone to, um, he's not even a good shot, he just hits their ear. But anyway, he hits their ear. And he's, he's doing this, and, and Jesus says, I have 12 legions of angels at my disposal. In Roman days, a legion was 6,000. Jesus is saying, I have 72,000 angels at my disposal. I think he's all set. I think that's like a really good combat if you have 72,000. I think one would probably be good enough, but, but he has 72,000. He has that power. It's not what he has. Not to let you know a secret, you don't have 72,000 angels at your disposal. You may think you do, but you have other things. And often you and I take our identity. It's outside the gate. It's, it's, it's one of those things we should be aware of. Am I taking my identity by what I have, by what I've saved, by what I own, by what I drive, by my education? by my ability? Do I say, it's what I have that makes me the person I am, and it makes me such a good person? And when that creeps in, the writing is on the wall. Belshazzar, I am number two. We talked about all that and what that meant last week. I'm number two. I am in charge. I'm going to have a party. I'm invincible. This city of Babylon is mine. And nobody's getting in. And from a human perspective, that seemed to be true. But as we talked about last week, he forgot about the river that fed into the city. And those Persians were pretty smart. And they diverted the river. So as the water dropped down, they just walked under the gates into the city. And if they'd even been aware in that moment, they could have shut things down and stopped them. But they were so oblivious, they saw, but they did not see what was outside the gates. They trusted in what they have. 
And some of us may say, well, I don't have much, but if we looked at your life, we looked at my life, we'd say, but you're pursuing it. You have a passion to have stuff. And you're saying, if I have this stuff, then I have satisfaction. Then life is good. And when that is outside our walls, when that's outside the gate, and that thinking gets into the inside of our heart, and we start living that way, it spells disaster for us. In a different story, in Luke 12, there's this parable. The man has a lot of stuff, but it can be defined by anything you and I have. Power, possessions, prestige, stuff, whatever it is. He reminds the individual, life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And when we let that thinking outside the gate creep in, we're in trouble. Also, there's this idea, I am what others think I am. Again, Satan takes Jesus to another place. He says, they took a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left and his angels came and attended him. Angels can also be uh, translated messengers of God. In this case, it's real angels. But I have to go on this little side note. Do, do you have people in your life that can be messengers of God in your life? that can come and attend you when you're in a bad place. I hope you do. You know, owning everything, being in charge of everything, uh, others would think that Jesus was the king, and he was the king. But Satan's trying to say, you will be the king of all these kingdoms. Others will go, you're the king. Sometimes that reflects itself of being obsessed with status and importance. It's not what we do. It's not what we have. We just want others to think a certain way of us. And uh, we play this game, and we're obsessed with status. Facebook is just in all these social media. Uh, I like those things, but this is just one expression of that. People are obsessed with how they look and how they take their pictures and what they look like. You never see usually bad things on Facebook. It's always like, my life is perfect. Look at me. Don't you wish you were me? They're obsessed with what others think. And when we're obsessed with what others think, it shows that we have less value on what God thinks. Worship the Lord your God. Give him worth. Worship the Lord your God and only him. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. You see, when we think what others think, when we value what others think, I am what others think of me, then it affects our worship. It affects the single-heartedness of trying to follow God in our lives. We're saying, Joe Schmuckatelli, I care what he thinks more than what God thinks, so that affects my behavior. I want other people to know who I am. Paul writes, it's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. 
and I'm no longer driven to please God. What he means by that is he realizes that his relationship with God is not driven by what he does. He hasn't earned it. He knows that Christ has given his life and he has it. And he's no longer shaped by what other people think. That doesn't mean he's dumb. Doesn't mean he's offensive to people. He's just not going to let what other people think control the actions of his lives. And he's not going to live in this worried, I am what I do, I am what I have, but especially I am what I do. And that's what impresses God. He's not going to get stuck in that. He's going to continue on. He's not going to be held captive by that. Earlier, I mentioned that you can do this on your own, that uh, Genesis 3.6 shows these three areas also. So this morning, we're thinking about see what it is on the outside before you see it on your inside. See what is on the outside before you see it on the inside. So as you look at what's outside your gates, outside your walls, really see it. Don't have a sense of arrogance. Don't have a sense of entitlement. Really see what's on the outside. Because if you don't really see it, you don't digest what that is, before you know it, you'll find those things on the inside. And God will write those things on your heart and remind you. You see, he knew it all the time, Belshazzar did. He wouldn't humble himself. He wouldn't wouldn't do these things. And you and I can find ourselves in the same place. Now, before we totally shut things off and we move into communion, I, I want you to think about this. Why did Daniel see what was on the outside? And why did Daniel... Why was Daniel able to interpret the writing on the wall? Why was that? It's because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And you say, what does that mean? We worship a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God and three persons. I can't tell you how that all works. Some of that is a mystery. It'd be a lot easier for me to think that there were three gods that just got along. But that's not what the scriptures teach. That's not what Jesus says about himself. He doesn't say, when he says baptize, he says baptize them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this, this is all through the writings about God. So what does that mean? That means when you and I say yes to Christ, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes in and dwells us and lives with us. And because that happens, you and I can see what's on the outside. His spirit guides us and directs us. We have to ask ourselves, how willing are we to listen? And it's amazing, the more we listen, the more we understand. Gotta remember, Daniel has now been in Babylon probably 70 years. He's in his mid-80s. And he's been walking with God Day after day after day. And that's why it was obvious he would sweat God from his pores. The spirit was on him. He was in tune with God. And we read this. Christ will be more and more at home in your life. Or home in your hearts. Living within you as you trust him. It's a process. 
You want to be full of the Spirit leading you. You want to be able to rely on that. You want to see what's outside your wall. You want to see what's written inside your heart. You've got to be hand in hand with God and allow Him. And it takes time, but that's okay. That's okay. And as He lives more and more out in your life, you'll see Him more and more. You'll hear Him more and more. You'll respond to Him more and more. So it all starts with saying yes to Jesus, and we talk about this often. It means admitting you've been out of step with him. So if you've never said yes to Christ, you admit that you've been out of step with him. We call that sin, and you need to be connected with him through what Christ has done. And you admit that. You go, I need God in my life. And then you place your belief, your trust that Jesus gave his life for you. You accept his forgiveness. It's a wonderful moment when you go, my sins are forgiven. They're not held against me. There still will be consequences for my actions, but when God looks at me, he does not hold that against us. And a part of that thinking is we choose to invite Christ into our lives, connect ourselves with God as the one who is going to, we're going to follow. And that begins your walk, your journey, your quest with him. And then you start to see I've talked with people who have made this decision, who have said yes to Christ, and immediately they see all this stuff around their, their, their city. They see the handwriting on the wall, in a sense, on how to live. And then they start walking. Some of us, some of us did this years ago, but we've, we've in a sense, stopped seeing. And in a moment like this, when we celebrate communion, you need to stop and go, what am I not seeing and by really seeing it, we talked last week about selective hearing. There's selective learning. There's selective seeing. I'd encourage you, if you're thinking about making a decision for Christ, if you've made a decision, you want to say yes to him, uh, you know, you, you've thought about where you are and where you want to be, you might want to check one of those little boxes off on that connected card so we know, so we can come alongside you and, and help you in this new jersey, new, new journey. And if you are at a place where you need to kind of like restart and you want someone to come alongside, let us know. Let us know because we'd love to do that. We'd love to help you take those next steps. Let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your love for us. We thank you for uh, the example of Belshazzar. He's a warning to us all. His life sunk because he didn't see what was on the outside and he let it get on the inside. Lord, help us to have eyes that see because your spirit is upon our lives. Help us to see through that. If there's anyone here this morning that has not said yes to you, we pray that even in this moment, they're thinking, I acknowledge my need, I believe, and I choose to follow you. And right in this moment, they can go from someone who can't see to someone who can see. And for those of us who have been able to see for a lot longer, Help us to really see. Help us to take inventory and digest what we're seeing on the outside of our walls of our life and to ask what is being written on the inside wall. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.